Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning. I think we're going to start in Jeremiah 29.11. Somebody's heard that verse before? You know, as I was saying, it's a, as you go into the new year, it's always a good chance to, for a time of reflection. Amen? A time to look back. And some of you are like, I don't want to look back. I'm putting 2020 in the rearview mirror. I'm good. It's behind me. But there's always something that God can bring out of it. You know that God can take what was meant for evil and use it for good in your life. It says in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So no matter what you went through last year, if you are trusting God and you are submitted to him and to his will, God can use it for good. I thought you'd get excited about that. I, God can use it for good. So we can be people who rejoice. Like James says, we count it all joy when we encounter various trials. But I look back and three things came to mind as I was reflecting on last year. One was, it was a time of shaking. And we discover in times of shaking the things that can't be shaken. And the things that matter. We discover in times of shaking how, how good our foundations are. Right? The Bible says that we're Christ the Rock Fellowship. We believe in lives being built on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Amen? That's a safe place from the storms. When the storms and the shaking comes, I want to be on the rock. And so we found out in our own lives, personally, I don't know about you, but there were some things that had to be fixed in my foundation this year. Last year. It was a year of revealing. Everybody went into 2020 saying, it's 2020 vision, we're going to get clarity. Yes, we got clarity, but not like you maybe thought. We got clarity on some stuff that maybe we didn't want to see. Amen? But God reveals those things so that he can heal them. He reveals them. So I like that. Good. That was better than my word. He reveals it so that he can heal it. Thirdly, it was a year of pressing. So the pressure on us from external circumstances resulted in two responses. Either we were crushed or we pressed in ourselves. And so I heard one pastor put it this way. He goes, we've seen in this season a dichotomy of spiritual apathy in, one, in some and spiritual fervency in others. And so what happens when the trials and tribulations come, we find out what we're made of. And maybe you got squeezed and it wasn't all the good stuff that came out. But praise God, he's still working on us. He hasn't given up on us. Amen. We are a work in progress. God has good things in store. And I, James says this, we can consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. Not because the trial's great. Let's just be honest. But because through it, we gain something. When we go through it in faith, when we go through it trusting God, we gain something. The Bible says you gain endurance. Why do you need endurance? Well, it's not going to get easier. You're like, pastor, bring some good news. It's not going to get easier. I'm not, I'm, I don't have a word for 2021 that says it's going to be pillows, all right? 
I don't have that word. I don't have that word this morning. I'd be lying to you. I, I just know that Jesus said in this world you'll have trials and tribulations. But fear not, because I've overcome the world. So we have that promise. We have promises over every day that we can tap into. Amen? But you, if you went through this in faith, congratulations. Just turn to somebody and give them a high five. Say, hey, you got some more endurance than you did last year this time. So you're ready for the long haul. You're ready for the long haul, the stretch that we're in, the season that we're in. I believe you've been called for such a time as this. Do you believe that? That gets me excited because that means God is going to give me everything I need for this season. That he's sufficient. His grace is sufficient. And that in him is all things we need. So look at this. Jeremiah 29, 11, you've read it before. Now, now understand this passage that we're, we've committed to memory and we have on uh, plaque, you know, on, on memes and all sorts of things. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. We forget the context of which that passage was given. The Israelites were in captivity. They had been in, gone into exile. They had been evicted. Right? They were evicted, right? They, they had committed all sorts of abominations and, and, and worshipped other gods and intermixed and did all these crazy things that God had warned them against in God's property. And so he said, all right, you're out. So they're, they're in captivity. But even in the midst of their discipline, if you will, in the midst of judgment, in the midst of all that, God's saying, no, I still have a hope and a future for you. So I feel like somebody this morning needs a reminder that God still has a hope and a future for you. That no matter what you've been going through, God still has a hope and a future. And you need to go into this year with hope because we always have hope in Jesus Christ no matter what's happening in the world. There are many who are dealing with the hopelessness coming out of 2020, but God has a hope for you. He also has goodness. Look at Psalm 65:11. Oh, I, I've been meditating on this passage. <clears throat> and I'm just going to warn you this morning, it's, it's dangerous when your pastor goes away on vacation because... God's dropping so much, it might be a while. I'll I'll get you out of here before prayer tonight. Um, Yeah, pastors don't really go on vacation because you're still all in our hearts. Come on. We're still praying for you. We still love you. And God's still speaking to us. uh, And sometimes that results in long services. All right. Psalm 65, 11. You crown the year with your goodness. Woo. And your paths drip with abundance. I love that. Somebody, can you, you just need to declare that over your year. But look, there's a condition here. He says, and your paths drip with abundance. Not my path. That means when I'm in his path for this coming year, then there's abundance. And that abundance is his goodness. And you know what? The way we receive his goodness is we trust in his goodness. We're not trusting in our own goodness, but we're trusting in his goodness. His abundance is in his path, and he crowns the year, which is to say he surrounds us with his goodness. I thought that would get somebody excited, but he surrounds us with his goodness. He crowns the years, year with that. Thank you, Lord. And so... 
In John 10, he said, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and that more abundantly. And so I don't know what abundant life looks like, but I know it's joy, peace, and the Holy Spirit. Come on. That we have that love, joy, peace in the Holy Spirit, and we can walk in that. And then this last two verses concerning this year, I just want to, we look at, we look back at the past, but we look at his promises for the future. And in Proverbs 4.18, it says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. Look at this. That shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Again, what's the kind of path? It's the path of the righteous. When we walk in his path, when we walk in his righteousness, there is a bright, there is the glory is increasing in our lives. Your future is so bright, I heard one preacher say, you got to squint. When we were in Florida this week, this strange thing is there. It's, it's yellow, it's an orb, it's warm. And us, us, us Washingtonians get out in the sun and we're like this. Do you know that they say that Washington State is the place where the most sunglasses are sold? And do you know the reason why? Well, because we, on those rare sunny days, we go out and then we buy sunglasses. And then we put them somewhere. And then weeks later when we get another sunny day, come on. We can't find it, so we go buy more. So we were getting on that plane, and I pulled up the weather app, and I was like, are you sure we have to go back yet? It says rain for the foreseeable future. Like dumping rain, flooding rain. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, bless the Lord. That's right. Count it all joy. Even in the floods. All right. Surely goodness, Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm just asking you to stay a couple of hours, but forever we dwell in his presence. So I just, we go into the new year with expectancy, with hope, with, with faith, with joy. Believing in God's goodness. And no matter what comes our way, he will not fail us. He's not failed me yet. He won't do it. So thirdly is this. We look past, we look at the promises, and then we look at the priorities. And this is where I want to stay for this morning and for the several weeks to come. Because we need to reset. You know, a lot of you, how many are doing some New Year's resolutions? Anyone? All right. There's like three of you. The rest of you learn what that, that, that's all about, right? You, you, you failed so many times, you're like, I, nope, not doing this year. I, was, I set those resolutions and, whew, I don't, I don't wanna, I don't wanna fail, so I'm not even gonna try. No. Most of our resolutions, though, are set on this. They're set on changing some outward behavior. And, and, we always want to change, you know, I, I want to I eat different. I want to exercise 
The gyms are full. They're not this year. Nobody's in the gyms. Um, they're full for about two weeks. You know, you always want to wait till the third week of this January to go because uh, all the resolution folks are out by the third week. But we try to set these resolutions. But I want to encourage you this morning, as we look at Matthew 6.33, he says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be what? Added to you. Context, he's talking about just our natural provisions we don't have to worry about when we seek first the kingdom of God. And some of us found out this last year that when there's... Even in the natural where there's lack, God's still faithful, still comes through, still provides. That I can live on a day-to-day basis. I don't have to worry about tomorrow for sufficient for today is its own troubles. I can live in faith believing that God's going to provide no matter what. And I believe that's part of the lesson, part of what we're learning in this time we're in. We can't trust in the things we've trusted in. We need, our trust needs to be in Him and Him alone. But I want to seek, say this. We need a YOLO mentality. Anyone heard this? You only live once. You only live once. Um, I've heard this said that if we were to put, a pastor used this as an illustration, he put a rope around the entire sanctuary. And he had one little red part for six inches and the rest was another color. And he said, this is just a picture of eternity. This little red part re- represents how you, this time that you have here on earth. The rest of this rope represents eternity. And see, what's crazy is how you live during this little red part will determine how the rest of this goes. So, seek first mentality is a YOLO mentality. That means, what would life look like if I lived as if it's my last day on earth? If I preached as if this was the last time I get to preach to you? I remember my father-in-law, my Hans, who preached here in 2013. It literally was weeks before he would pass. And the message he gave that day was a message of warning. A message to say, hey... Be careful. Times are coming. Hard times are coming. Get ready. Prepare your hearts. I'll never forget that message because he was literally preaching as if it was the last time we'd hear from him, and it turns out it was. And so when we live this way, we encounter somebody and we go, you know what? This may be their last chance. What if that person, I'm the last person they see before their life ends? I'm here as an ambassador for the kingdom of God. I want to live with a mentality as an ambassador for the kingdom of God as if I've only got one chance to get this right. Eternal perspective. And what happens is, you know, I've heard, I was talking to my wife about this. And I may be wrong on this. I may be interpreting this wrong. But when it says that he'll wipe away every tear in heaven, people have interpreted that say there'll be no tears in heaven. I have a feeling there's some tears. And the tears would be this. When you see who Jesus is face to face, you see the glory of his presence. You see what you've been waiting for, your eager anticipation, what he's prepared for you. And you go, wait, I didn't use my time well. There's some tears. There's some people I could have shared this with, and I didn't. 
there's Jesus to wipe away the tears. William Booth said this. He goes, the greatest training I could give a Bible school student would be 24 hours of looking into the pit of hell. Would it change if we saw the burning fires, the gnashing of teeth of eternal hell? I'm sorry, it's, it might be heavy this morning, so I'm going to ask your forgiveness in advance. But because I believe God wants to do something really special and he needs conditions in our hearts to do it. It's also what happens when your pastor reads books like Leonard Ravenhill. Why does revival tarry? Because this is my heart, people. I want to see revival. And we we interpret that all different ways. But I just want to see God move. I want to see God move in a special way in our community, in our church, in the churches of America, in the churches of the nations of the world. I want to see his spirit poured out on all flesh, as it says in Joel chapter 2. But then I have to ask, and sometimes we look at revival like a kid who is looking in the window of a store. And we see on the other side some toy, something that they feel like they'll never have before. Again, don't have a chance to get that. I don't believe God wants us to live that way. He, it's, a, it's attainable. God wants to pour out his spirit. It's just he's looking for the conditions in our hearts to do so. So as we go into the new year, I wonder if we would take time and, and set goals higher of more significance for the kingdom of God in our hearts. What do you want to do in and through my life this year? How can my heart be ready? How can I get a reset on priorities in my life to align with your priorities in your kingdom this year? Whew. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, He has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We've been transferred from darkness into his kingdom, but we need to learn what it means to be in the kingdom. See, when you come from Western culture, you don't understand that kind of government. He has all reign. He has all rule. He has all authority. I mean, we're happy about our Bill of Rights. Amen? I'm thankful for that. But guess what? As somebody who's been purchased, I gave up my rights. I belong to the king. It's no longer my life. It's his life. You could just write on this body, sold, purchased, bought, redeemed. But now I belong to him. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God. Redemption. We've been purchased. So this is where I want to go this morning. I might be all over the place, just bear with me. There's, we're going somewhere. The message If we're going to seek first the kingdom of God, there is the message of the kingdom of God. We must respond to the message of the kingdom of God. And it starts with John the Baptist in chapter 3 of Matthew, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent. You know, when I say repent, everybody gets quiet. My goal today is to change your perspective on repentance. It's gift. It's a wonderful thing. 
We don't need to be afraid of being wrong. We have a loving God. Oh, who wants us to change and be conformed to his image. Repentance is a wonderful thing, but we have neglected it. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then we go on to Matthew 4, 17. Jesus preaches the same message. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, repent was the first word in the gospel John preached, in the gospel Jesus preached, in the gospels that the 12 that were sent out preached, in the, go- in the gospel that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, in the gospel that Paul preached later after, revealing a rev- after receiving a revelation from heaven. The first thing, so as we enter the year, let's put first things first and go, God, I want to embrace repentance. I want to embrace, Lord, your perspective on my life. Bring the change and transformation that you desire in my life this year. And the message of repentance is simple. It really means to leave our sin and our kingdom of self-life and go and move towards the kingdom of God. It's the action of coming to him. It's not simply about regret or feeling sorry for your past or your mistakes, but it's an action, a turn from sinful actions, from sinful thoughts, from sinful attitudes, and saying, God, I'm turning to you. It's not a one-time experience. Come on. It's a daily place. It's a dwelling place. It really is. And see, what happens when we go a long time without real repentance in our life is things begin to get hard. Things begin to get stagnant. Things begin to get stale in our spiritual life. When's the last time where you were broken by God's heart? When you begin to see things in your life through His perspective, And it began to change your perspective to the point that there was a brokenness. You know what? What we learned this year, and this is is what's tragic about 2020, is, is many in the church have fallen away this year. And what does that tell us? Because I think what we're learning is some of the gospel we've preached has been man-centered. It's been man-centered. What do I mean? Come to Jesus because he'll make your life better. Come to Jesus because, and that's true. My life as a Christian, my worst day as a Christian is better than my best day as a sinner. Come on, somebody. That is true. Because he's a good God. He provides, everything's better. But that's, we come to him because he's king. He's Lord. We're not our own. And to not come to him means an eternity in torment, in hell. Like, pastor, I thought you believed in grace. Yes, I believe in grace. 
Oh, do I believe in grace. But you can't appreciate grace until you appreciate your wretchedness. Until you see the condition of your soul and what Jesus has forgiven you of. Let's say I walked up to Pastor Sam and I said, hey man, I'm going to give you $50,000 to cover that debt. And he's like, what debt? I didn't even know I had debt. Oh yeah, it's been accumulating. You forgot to pay these bills and over time the interest and all this stuff. You weren't aware of that, were you? He's like, no. But then he begins to understand what he missed and the debt he didn't pay. And how many know the appreciation for that gift begins to increase? You know, I read accounts of John Wesley. I read accounts of George Whitfield. I read accounts of the revivalists throughout the generations. And there was something that marked their ministry. It was they ministered and people fell under the power, not bless me power. They fell under the power of conviction of the Holy Spirit. The reality and the weight of their sin became so real that they cried out. They recognized how much I need a Savior. Why, we, we, we sell a Savior to people who don't understand why they, don't need a, why they need a Savior. The first thing is to understand why you need one. We broke the law. We, broke, we, are, we are sentenced to death. We're condemned to death outside the cross. The wages of sin is death. All sin leads to death. If we don't understand that, if somebody doesn't understand that, you all, if you witness to people, sometimes they'll say, well, I'm a, I'm a good person. Do you know what they're saying is, no, I, I, I've led a good life. It's a complete unawareness, lack of awareness of the condition of their soul. And so I, I was just sitting around on vacation and, and I'm just relaxing and I'm, at the pool, and I can't relax. You know why? Because I'm watching the people around me. And all of a sudden, my heart begins to get heavy. They're all lost. Does that move you? Does it move you? If it doesn't, it should. And I, I honestly felt helpless. I'm like, Lord, how can we reach them? How can we be more effective in reaching the lost? Because Jesus, that was his mission. He said he came to seek and to save those who were lost. I don't want to sell you short on the gospel. It requires all of you. And if you receive Jesus Christ, if you put your faith and trust in him, there will be persecution. You will be rejected. Life won't be all great but you will have the life in you. His resurrection power will live in you. His grace and his peace will be multiplied to you. You'll have eternal life because you know him whom he sent. 
So I want to share, we made the gospel transactional and not relational. We said, if you pray this prayer and you accept Jesus, then that's it. Well, guess what? 80 high percentage of those people fall. Because they didn't come to the place with the first word, repent. Repent. Turn to him. Turn away from that life. Turn to the Savior. The aim of the gospel is not simply to get you to heaven, but it is for heaven, God's kingdom, to be established in you. Did you hear that? And for us to be conformed to his image, that's what he's doing in us. It's lordship. It's constant shaping, which means radical pruning in some seasons. And that doesn't always feel good, right? But that's because God cares. There's areas of our life that are dead. They're not producing fruit. So he prunes us so that they can be fruitful. And I believe this year God wants us to be fruitful. All right. That's the intro. Praise God. <laughs> I told you. I warned you. All right. Aspects. Four, I want to share four aspects of repentance in our lives. Matthew 3.3. 3, For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Number one, repentance is forward-looking to prepare and to ready ourselves. How many believe God wants to do great things this year? He wants to do great things this year. What eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered in the heart of man. God wants to do great things. I'm not just saying that to be cliche. God desires to move more than he's moved, more than we're seeing. But like I said at the beginning, there's conditions in our heart that need to be ready, prepared. The ministry of John the Baptist was to prepare the people to receive the Messiah. And so if we're asking him to come, we're asking for his glory, for his presence, for his manifestation, not just in these four walls, come on, out there. Look, you're living with an open window over your open window of heaven over your life, but there's not an open window over this area. Come on. We that's what revival is. Where the atmosphere is absolutely invaded by the presence of God in a community. So this morning I want to paint a picture of what a vision of what revival looks like so our hearts begin to burn for it and desire it. So he says, desire. He says, make ready the way of the Lord. There's things in us, there's obstacles in our life that prevent the Holy Spirit from moving the way he does, wants to. You know, this message was such a shock to the Jew, many Jews because they were expecting a king who would come and bring a political reign and political uh, government that would restore Israel to a political greatness. And so they thought the opposition was the Romans. Matthew's, or, or, or uh, John's message was rather offensive to them. He says, no, no, the problem is you. <laughs> us. Our hearts to be ready for the king to come reign in us. That's what this kingdom looks like. He says the kingdom of God is within you. It's for him to come and reign in 
us. So he, have we done that before? If your parents in here, you know that story. You go to discipline your kid, and they're like, they're pointing at the sibling. Yeah, but they. Yeah, but they did this, this, and this. Ah, no, no, I'm not dealing with that. I'm dealing with you. We're going to deal with your attitude, your issue, not their issue. So, someone say, it's me. Oh, it's good. it's good. God loves us. Amen? Prayer for the new year. What areas in me are hindering you from moving, from doing what you want to do? Luke 3, 5, he says, Every ravine will be filled, every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight, and the rough roads smooth. Whoo! What do these high places in our life represent? They're the places of pride. They're the places of elevated self. God calls us to humble ourselves. Things, that have ex- things in our lives that have exalted themselves against the knowledge of God in our mind, in our thought life, that have exalted themselves, need to be torn down, brought low. Self-sufficiency. We are all guilty of this. Our dependency on the Lord needs to increase this year. Come on. Our trust in ourselves, our trust in man needs to decrease. Self-righteousness, it's trusting in our own goodness. That needs to come down for God to move. He resists the proud. He, he gives us the Heisman when we got pride. Come on. He's like, mm. Pride keeps him from moving the way he needs to move in our lives. There is a greater grace for those who will humble themselves before him. He will exalt those who humble themselves. He is near to the broken and contrite in heart. What do the low places represent? Some of us have been in some low places. We've held a lower view of who God is. We've limited God. We said, God, you're this, you're this, but you're not what your word says who you are. We've limited ourselves. We said, no, God, I'm not worthy. I can't be used by you. We said, I'm inadequate. Why would you use me? Maybe it's despair. Maybe it's hopelessness in this season we've been in. Maybe it's unbelief and doubting that God can really save us, that God can really transform our lives, bring the low places up, fill the ravines in our life. Then he says the crooked places made straight. Are there places in our lives of compromise? Has our heart wavered? Have anxiety and fear caused us to veer off the course that God has for our lives? Then he says, lastly, the rough ways will be made smooth. You see, there's rough places in our life. There's hard, stony places where we've resisted God, where where sin has come in and brought hardness of heart. Or maybe, maybe, Maybe there's been wounds. Maybe there's been hurts. Maybe there's been disappointments and and despair in the past in your life. And you know what our self-protective instinct is, is to create this callousness around to protect. And our hearts become callous. 
Or maybe we've just, maybe our compassions have failed. You know, it's wonderful about Jesus says his compassions fail not. Psalm 103. But our compassions fail. He needs to soften those places in us. So number one is forward looking. Number two, look at Psalm 51. I'm going to try to be fast, I promise. All right. You got a couple hours. All right. Psalm 51, one through two. A Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Second aspect of repentance is inward cleansing. You know, we look at David's story and we typically point to his, uh, his adultery. And then the cover-up was worse than the original crime, right? Or at least we, we measure it that way. God says sin is sin. But it, this sin starts in 2 Samuel chapter 12 or 11 verse 1 when it says that in the season, in the spring season when kings go out to battle... David didn't. He was on the sidelines when he should have been on the front lines. And so those moments of being out of the kingdom business, come on somebody, create idle opportunities for sin to enter in. For temptation. Seeking first the kingdom of God looks like me using my time, me being in season with what God wants to do in that season. And it might be a battle season, and I need to get my warfare ready, my armor ready. But then, you know the story, he, he sees the beautiful woman bathing, and he has his servants go get her, and it just goes, down, it goes south from there. She gets pregnant, she says, I'm pregnant, David, and he's like, he calls his, her husband who's fighting for David, Uriah. Uriah is a kingdom guy, come on. How do we know he's a kingdom guy? Because he tries to get him to take a rest and gives him a gift and says, go back to your wife. So he'll sleep with his wife and, and then they'll think it's, he'll think it's his child. But Uriah's like, how can I go sleep in my house when, the, the, when, when my, my fellow brothers are in battle? They're, sleep, they're, they're sleeping on, on the battle lines. They don't have a bed. They, don't, they can't go to their homes. The ark is not returned to Israel yet, so I can't, I can't sleep until the kingdom business is taken care of. David's, all right, what do I do next? So he gets him drunk. Dry gets drunk, and he still sleeps at the foot of the, castle, the, the, the king, king's room there. So that doesn't work. So he turns to extreme measures. He says... Joab put him out in the front to battle and then stepped back so he gets killed. So Uriah gets killed. In fact, and then it says at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says, and this thing that David did was evil in God's eyes. Then next comes his buddy Nathan. Aren't you glad for friends? We need some Nathans in our life who aren't afraid to tell us some truth, who aren't afraid to come in and go, hey, 
This thing ain't right. This thing in your life ain't right. And so Psalm 51 that we're reading is David's response to Nathan confronting him. Saying, this man is you that I'm talking about. This man who's committed this, this is you. And David responds and he, he prays out. And I want you to see his prayer this morning. That it's accepting God's perspective on sin. Three words used. He says, my, everybody say my. <laughs> Whew, that's to own it. My transgressions. Transgressions is God has set a line. He says, don't cross it. You see the line. And you're like, I see the line, but I'm going over it. That's intentional. That's willful. David knew better. He was intimate relationship with God in worship. And he, he knew God's heart. I see the line, but I go over it. Then he says, my iniquity. So when the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, that means that there is a, a pollution. There's a perversion that comes in your life when you transgress. There's an after effect. How many like Chinese food? I like it. I don't like it two hours later. Because it has the, what is it called? M MSG, thank you. It has the MSG. And so later, it feels like you're hungry again and you're tired. Thirsty too, yeah. All these effects, right? But that's, look, nothing wrong with Chinese food. I'm just, illustration folks, all right. But that's how sin is, right? You get, you taste of it and you're like, oh, this is good for a season. But then like that after effect kicks in. There's pollution in our life, that's the iniquity. That's that perversion that comes because we've transgressed that line. You know you feel it. Then he says, it's my sin. And this is described as includes all the fact, the sense of failure and ruin, conscious and unconscious actions. I willfully disobeyed or I knew to do right but didn't do it. The Bible says that's sin too. Hmm. It's a high bar when we define what sin is. I'm not here to condemn you. Say, pastor, turn to somebody and say, pastor still loves me. God still loves me. All right. All right. But we got to see sin as God sees it. And David's confession. In the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Praise God. But confession, that word in the Greek is homo logeo, which is to say the same as God is saying which means I share his perspective on this thing. And, and David says, he looks at, he says, my sin is ever before me. Ever before me. I see it for what it is. Therefore, he could confess in a way that matches God's perspective. This is what happens in true repentance is we see it for what it really is. We see that my sin didn't just affect me. My sin grieved God. Do you ever think for a moment 
that the God of the universe who spoke everything into being has lowered himself to the place where he will allow himself to be grieved by your action. Woo! That what I do or don't do can grieve God? But see, if you've believed in a transactional Christianity, that doesn't even, doesn't even measure. In a relational faith. I go, God, I'm sorry I hurt your heart. That thing hurt your heart. That's why when, no, he's not up here. We've got it covered. But the prodigal comes home. You know what his confession was? I have sinned against heaven. What if we saw sin that way? Not confessing has consequences. We look at Psalm 32, 3. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away, though my groaning, through my groaning all day long. You felt that before? That, that guilt, that shame just weighs on you and it wastes you away. It's like bitterness. Don't worry, we're going to get to good news. Hold on, folks. It says it's before me. And it says, this is his, he says, against you and you only I have sinned. That's not entirely accurate. Because he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the nation of Israel. He sinned against the brothers. I mean, everybody was affected by this. Generations to come would be affected by this. Because the consequence of his son was Nathan said, the sword will never depart from your family. You'll be in battles because of this. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. When he forgives us, we're cleansed entirely. But we still must see it for what it is. If we, the, the result and the product of true repentance is a hatred of sin. This is what the Lord is after. He says, if there's areas where we've tolerated sin, we've just grown, it's no big deal, right? Do you realize as the world, as time progresses, sin gets worse? We're in a de degenerative state. Trust me, if life expectancies increased, the list of works of the flesh in Galatians 5 would be longer. Because people would come up with new ways to sin. They would come up with new ways to sin. That's why there's a limit on our life. <laughs> Praise God. But he wants to thoroughly wash us. Psalm 51, 6 and 7. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me. Somebody say Purify with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Then moving on to verse 10 of Psalm 51. I encourage you to meditate on this chapter as you start this new year, as, you, as you're seeking the Lord in this new year. Meditate on Psalm 51. It's a beautiful view of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Listen, we live in a microwave society. We want things quick and easy. But we can't hasten repentance. This is a process that God takes us through. 
And, and A.W. Tozer puts it this way, do a thorough job of repenting. Do not hurry to get it over with. Hasty repentance means shallow spiritual experience and lack of certainty in the whole life. Woo! Let godly sorrow do her healing work until we allow the consciousness of sin to wound us. We will never develop a fear of evil. It, and I, I just want to share one experience I had. Not my brightest moment. I was saved, being saved. How many know we're being saved? You're saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. There's three... We won't go on that. All right. I was being saved. I had rededicated my life it's January, uh, in, in January of 1997. I rededicated my life. I got baptized in February of 1997. And I had this job at Future Shop selling electronics. Yeah. V VCRs. Anyone remember that? My kids didn't even know what that was for a while. Um, home theater systems and things. And so, you know... I'm just going to tell you how good God is because I got saved and I started tithing. And I mean, people would come in the store. It was a commission job. People would come and walk up to me and say, I just want to buy a huge home theater system. I'm like, great. Huge commission. It's fantastic. I mean, people, it was all these other guys in the store just staring. They're going, what? them or was that like a comeback no no they just walked up to me F favor ain't fair <laughs> so God's blessing me but then I sell this 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 lady comes in and she wants a home theater system and I'm feeling rather you know confident and I'm gonna upsell her and man whew. and I upsold her to this huge system and she's like, I don't even know if I know how to work this thing. I'm like, here's my cell phone number. You can call me. I'll help you. She called me every day. I had to go to her house and wire this thing. And I began to question if this commission was worth it. And I was counting. The, the rules said that if they return it after 30 days, I get to keep my commission. So I'm counting down those days. And I was like, it reached day 31. I was like, yeah! <laughs> day 45, she strolls in the store and she returns the whole thing. And I'm like, I'm good. My boss dings me, takes the whole commission. And I'm like, injustice! This is wrong! About to go grab a placard and walk out front. <laughs> this is wrong. You can't do this. And I got mad. Man. Things that came out of my heart. Ooh, ugly. Bitterness, anger at my boss. I wouldn't even look him in the eye. And so another legitimate return came in a few days later. And this time... I had a friend who worked the cash register, and I said, hey, why don't you put that under a blank number? Which means it didn't hit my commission. That's wrong. Remember that line? Yeah. Oh, I leaped over it. I leaped over it. Whew. 
And I thought I'd gone away with it. I'm like, that'll show you, boss. Hmm. All that time, God's trying to talk to me. Talk to me. Hey, I've heard the audible voice of God, like, audible a couple times. That was one. Don't do this. (laughs) Don't do this. A few days later, boss calls me and, hey, need to meet with you in the back. said, uh, so what happened the other day with this return? And you should know that we've met with her already. And she's fired. So you can do the math. I got fired. That was a humbling experience, folks. Humbling experience. I went home. I hadn't been jobless since I was nine years old. I was without a job. Felt like a full, complete failure. Knew it was my fault. Knew I had not listened to God. Knew I had willfully crossed the line. For three days, I sat in my room and wept. And what God showed me during that time was he showed me You love money. You're prideful. It was ugly. You guys had that moment before? It's not fun. But you know what? It's wonderful. Because he was transforming me. And I look back and I'm looking at that. It's like an awful moment. But a moment when God... Changed the course of my whole life. I'm not proud of it. But God will take your mess and he'll make a message out of it. He'll take your test and make it a testimony. He'll take your failures, your mistakes. If you'll come to that humbling place. I didn't have to do that to get there. He was trying to get me there before I lost my job. And I resisted him. My pride, my arrogance, I resisted him. Oh God, why did it take that? Within a month, I'm driving one day past a building in Bothell, and the Lord says, drop in there. It was AT&T. And I knew, well, that's less pay than I was making. I don't know that I want to work in a call center, right, Joy? (laughs) Uh, But I walked in there. I I listened to the Lord this time. By that time, I'm getting a little better. And uh, I got a job there. That was 23 years ago. I'm still working there. And God has blessed every, every step in that company. 20... I had no idea, but God redeemed that situation. I hope it doesn't take the school of hard knocks for you to learn it. I hope that we would be a people who are sensitive to God's nudging and the Holy Spirit saying, you've tolerated this thing and it needs to go and it's not good in my sight and I want to change it. Before it comes to that, check yourself before you wreck yourself. 
Because we don't have to learn in that school. We can learn in his word. And we can be formed and shaped by his word. Praise God. Okay, I'm almost done, I promise. Matthew 3.8. John the Baptist goes on to say, Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Number three, that aspect of repentance is outward change. You know, the crowds asked him, he said, then, then, after he says repent, then what do we do? Then what do we do from here, John? And he says, well, the man who has two tunics, you go help the one who has none. And the soldier goes, well, what? Or the, the tax collector says, what do I do? And he says, you only collect what you're asked to collect. Stop doing above. You guys could fill in the tax collector with your favorite politician today. Come on. Those are the people who Jesus went to. The people despised, who had no love, no respect. Jesus went to them. Amazing, isn't it? And then he's, the soldier said, what do I do? And he says, don't collect more than your wages. Don't force these things on people. And the, he gave them practical actions outwardly. You see, there is an outward change that people see. People see the transformation in our lives. There's Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And here he is, this man of short stature, the tax collector who was very rich. And I won't go through the entire story, but he, he gets up in a place where he can see Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, hey, I'm coming to your house today. How many like that? Jesus, come to my house today. And upon him coming to his house, him being a tax collector re- despised by everyone, despised by everyone for his riches, for his, his, his cooperation with the Roman government. He says, you know what? I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And for those who I've, who I've wronged, I'm going to give back four times. There is a practical outworking of change that demonstrates true repentance. That's why John preached and said, show forth fruits worthy of repentance. And do you know why the fruits change? Come on. Because the tree changed. Because the tree changed. He's the root. Are you with me this morning? Holiness is the fruit. Jesus is the root. That's not my self-efforts. I can point to so many places in my life where there was things I was struggling with and I just surrendered it to God. And the next thing I know, it's not a problem anymore. And that wasn't my doing. It was my willingness to let him work in me to will and to do according to his good pleasure. That's what he needed. He needed my permission. And once I gave him my permission, he could work that change in my life. Still with me? All right. Romans 2, 4. This is why Zacchaeus changed. Because he saw the goodness of God in the face of Jesus who's come into his house. Wow. I wonder if we want to host his presence if there's some conditions in our heart, in our house, in our lives that he's looking for. You got quiet. All right, Romans 2, 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? It's his kindness, his goodness. 
Fourth and last item, I promise. Upward focus. Upward focus. You know what? To me- repentance in the Greek is metanoia. It means to change one's mind for the better. How do we change our mind for the better? Hardly to amend with abhorrence, which means to hate one's past sins. To hate it. But to change one's mind for the better. He doesn't want to just take that thing out. He wants to fill our minds with new thoughts. Colossians 3.1 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, is there anyone here this morning who's been raised up with Christ? Keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind. This is a decision of the will to set my mind on things above. In his book, Leonard Ravenhill says, there's people who say, well, you're, you're too heavenly minded for any earthly good. And he goes, can we honestly say anyone has that problem? Nobody. Nobody has that problem. We need to be heavenly minded if we want to be earthly good. Come on. Nobody has that problem. I want to have that problem. <laughs> Higher thinking. That's what metanoia is. It's higher thinking. To begin to embrace God's perspective on things. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways. My thoughts are higher. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let the wicked man forsake his thoughts. I want God's thoughts. I don't want my thoughts. My thoughts are garbage. I want his thoughts. And what better mind change can we have than to get the mind of Christ? 1 Corinthians 2 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have, somebody say, we have the mind of Christ. And Romans 8 says, To be spiritually minded is life and peace. But to set your mind on the flesh is death. See, when you come to that place of transformation, that's what God wants to do. It's transformation. It's, it's, it's unrecognizable what we used to be and what God makes us to be. Isn't it? It's unrecognizable. People go, I saw you before. You're different now. You're different now. God's changed my life. I didn't do it. I just said, yes, he did it. Jesus did it. He is my life. Let's all stand to our feet as we close this morning. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know, I've always wondered why Paul referred to himself the way he did. I'm not talking about when he says Paul the apostle or Paul the servant. He says, first he says, Paul the least of the apostles because he had persecuted the church. He says he's the least 
of the saints. Then he says he's the least, the greatest of sinners. You're going, wait, Paul. St. Paul who says this. <laughs> he also says his conscience was clear. Wow. Do you see that? Conscience is clear, but he has this confession about who he is. What is that? What is that? It's right perspective on who God is and who we are not. That when we see him, remember he talks about this, I know a man who had an experience, third heaven. Paul had some experiences. He saw Jesus even on the road to Damascus, he saw him. And so as you see the risen Lord and you see his glory and you see yourself in light of it, you also see your sin and your shortcomings and your failures. And just like Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. I'm undone. You say, you see, I think, I think we gravitate towards being comfortable for, to just be okay. I want to be blessed. I want to do all these are great. But the greatest blessing is when God comes and he changes your heart. No one can take it away from me. They can take away my material goods. They can take away other things, but they can't touch what Jesus has done in my life. And so, church, this is, this is the exhortation this morning that we would embrace a lifestyle of repentance as we enter this year to not just go through the motions of going through church and doing things and getting back to life as normal. Our normal bias, trying to get back to normal. Let God transform your normal. Let God speak to those areas. You don't have to be afraid. Here's the reality. He already sees those things. He already sees them for what they are. But he loves you just the same. And that's when the grace of God becomes to become so real that you go, man, you saw the wretchedness of my sin. And you, what? You love me this way? What? You love me this way? And here's the, here's the thing. Maybe, maybe you've been inhibited in your relationship with God this morning. Maybe, maybe it's hard for you to worship. Maybe it's hard for you to pray. Maybe it's hard. Maybe there's a lack of joy in your life. That's why David had to pray in Psalm 51. He said, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. But that was after he came through the inward cleansing of the heart. Wash me, purge me with hyssop. Cleanse me from all my iniquity. So I would ask this morning if there's any here and, and, and you're like, Pastor, are you going to make me raise my hand or something? No. But check your heart. 
that need some high places brought low. You say, there's been areas in my life. Let's just close our eyes for just a moment. I just want to let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to us. Areas of my life of pride, self-sufficiency, high-mindedness, thinking I know better, choosing my way than God's way. It's a way that seems right to man, but its end is death. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Is he trying to save you from a wrecked moment? Now. He'll do that. He loves you. He wants to lead you into all truth. He wants to reveal unto you righteousness. Are there ravines in your life? You say, you've been in a place of despair. You've been in a place of faithlessness. To say, I just can't believe. Filled with doubt. Filled with unbelief. I want to say this. Both offend God. Because you're saying you're not who you say you are. And I'm not who you say I am. Can we see that that breaks his heart? Is there compromise? Are there crooked places in our life? As we enter this new year, are there areas where you say, I've tolerated sin i've just said it's not a thing but god's view on it is it's is different maybe it's bitterness maybe it's envy maybe it's malice towards somebody maybe it's lust maybe you're rehearsing sins that are supposed to be under the blood I don't know. We've tolerated it. And we don't want to tolerate it anymore. The Holy Spirit is here to bring life, to bring repentance in us, to work this deep thing in us. We don't want to be in shallow waters anymore. Come on, church. Or is there sin that you can't get free from? The perversion, the pollution that comes from transgressing and sinning that's just polluted your soul with anxiety and everything that comes with sin god can set you free will you look at it like david did says it's it's ever before me see it for what it is so god can remove it and bring in his grace his love his peace his joy are there rough places in us that need to be smoothed Again, you don't have to raise your hand. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. I'm not even going to pray for anybody this morning. This altar is a place of consecration. This altar is a place of responding to God's heart, to the Holy Spirit's nudging this morning. If he's nudging on your heart, if there's an area in your life that's not right, that needs to be made right, don't delay. And I'm telling you this because God wants to do great things and these things hinder. So our prayer this morning, God, is that you would help us to see sin as you see it. We live in a world, a fallen world, God. We are surrounded with corruption and perversion and things that we would never imagine, God.
but sometimes we become dull in our conscience and we've just accepted things as normal that that are that you hate that are perverse to you God that break your heart so this morning we ask you to break our hearts with what breaks your heart Lord we're we're asking as we step into this new year to prepare we want to prepare the way for you to move in us and through us we want to respond we want to be to embrace the areas of transformation you desire in our lives Lord we humble ourselves before you this morning heal us we turn from our wicked ways and we turn to you God come heal us and heal our land create in us a clean heart purify us with hyssop wash us thoroughly cleanse us oh God oh God maybe we've taken the grace of God for granted your grace that you would forgive us that you would cleanse us your way in us Jesus cleanse our conscience transform us Lord I thank you this morning that you're beginning a work in us this year that we were it's a new year and we're gonna be a new me because of you Jesus oh his presence is here church just, just receive just receive the Holy Spirit working you. I don't know how you need to respond. If you need to come and just pray at this altar, do it. We're just going to worship him and we're just going to allow him to work in our hearts. You can worship where you're at. I don't, you, you respond as you need to to the Holy Spirit this morning. this last word for that Jesus gave to the church at Ephesus such a strong church I mean they were amazing and he, he commended them first he said you've endured and you've you've test you've you've resisted evil men you've tested apostles who were not you you've persevered but he says I have this one thing against you You left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at the first. I want you just for a moment, if you're in this place and you've been saved, can you remember that day? Can you remember the weeks that followed? Can you remember being carefree and just the love, joy, the peace? You didn't care what people thought. You just knew that you were a new person in Christ Jesus. Every spare moment you had, you just wanted to be with Jesus. Every spare moment. 
But then life comes along and we just get busy and we just start doing stuff and we do stuff for God, but we forget to be with Him. We forget to nurture in that relationship, that intimacy with Him. So I wonder this morning if there's some here that just need to renew and refresh and reset and come back to their first love. To do the deeds that you did at the beginning. I can remember a time when God worked so powerfully in my life. I visited this revival in Florida I came home. All I knew is that God had touched me. I didn't know what was happening. But I was working in that call center. I can remember moments where I just began to weep in my little cube. I'd weep. I had no idea what God was doing. I just knew I was being transformed. I knew my desires were changing. I knew I was being filled with his love. I knew I was being washed cleansed and in Acts they said repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord so don't miss this moment if you need to respond to the Holy Spirit we're going to sing we're going to worship and we're just going to let God move in our hearts and set the course for this year. Fresh start, new beginning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're our first love. You're the one we adore. You're the one we love, Jesus. You're the one we live for. We're sorry, Lord, for living for ourselves. Today, we're choosing to turn back to live for you, to commit ourselves afresh to you, Jesus, to remember that you are the king. We don't live for ourselves.